0: Welcome! This is a Vascular Forum interview. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another Vascular Forum interview. My name is Melina Vega de Zeniga. Today we are going to talk about non-invasive foot perfusion assessment with Dr. Pirka Vikatma, a well-known vascular surgeon and associate professor at the Helsinki University Hospital in Finland and current treasurer of the ESVS. Thank you for making the time to talk to us today.
1: Thank you, Melina, for making the podcast possible. I hope that people will find it interesting.
0: This is definitely a topic worth talking about. Let me set the context. Baseline and postoperative assessment of limb and foot perfusion are basic procedures in vascular surgery practice, and we have quite a variety of possibilities to choose from. Ankle brachial index, toe brachial index, transcutaneous partial oxygen pressure measurement, that is TCPO2, skin perfusion pressure, pulse volume recordings, treadmill test, endocyanin green perfusion, perfusion CT, heat cameras, laser scanning. The recent 2019 Global Vascular Guidelines on the Management of Chronic Limb Threatening Ischemia recommend, with a strong grade of recommendation, to measure ankle pressure and ankle brachial index as the first-line non-invasive test in all patients with suspected chronic limb-threatening ischemia and toe pressure and toe brachial pressure in all patients with suspected chronic limb-threatening ischemia and tissue loss. They also recommend, with a weak grade of recommendation, to consider using alternative methods for non-invasive assessment of perfusion, such as PVR, transcutaneous oximetry or skin perfusion pressure, when ankle and toe pressures, indices and waveforms cannot be assessed. So, with all this, Dr. Vikadma, let me begin by asking you about your clinical practice. Which ones do you use routinely and why?
1: Well, our vascular laboratory in Helsinki has been gradually developing since 1980-something when uh, Professor Lepantalo did his uh, first try uh, on thesis uh, around this area. He never finished that thesis. He did something else instead. Back then, they used the strain gauge measurement for toe pressure. Then after that, for several years, we used uh, the photoplethysmographic method of toe pressure measurement. So we have a long history of this one. Some 10-15 years ago, we totally changed to the laser Doppler method. We have made some uh, preliminary studies. We have a routine heat probe uh, for the toe pressure and use the laser because it uh, measures lower values more reliably. So in every patient that comes to our clinic for foot perfusion problems or even claudications, we do ABI and toe pressure. That is the workhorse, and that answer I get every time a patient comes to the outpatient clinic, and obviously also preoperatively and postoperatively. Then in the more cumbersome situations with tissue loss and maybe amputated toes, we use TCPO2, and then we have done some research about the the indocyanine green uh, perfusion assessment, so that's a fluorescent imaging of the foot perfusion.
0: So, everyone is familiar with how to measure ankle brachial index. I think you learned that in your first year at a trainee. But how exactly do you measure toe pressure, and how do you calculate the toe brachial index?
1: Well, there is a TBI that is calculated in the same way as the ankle brachial index, but we don't normally use it. We are more interested in the absolute toe pressure. It changes less with the systemic blood pressure than ABI does. The interesting thing is how good the perfusion is to the foot, and whether or not that is sufficient for breast pain or ulcer healing. You need, of course, specific equipment for the measurement. You need small pressure cuffs. And in our practice, we use these semi-automatic measuring devices, small cuffs that are normally used in the hallux, but you can also use other toes. And then you put the laser probe into the tip of the toe. Then, like any blood pressure measurement, you take up the pressure. And when the pressure comes down, the signal to the razor doppler comes back again, and that is your pressure.
0: So you measure it in the big toe, routinely. And do you measure the pressure in the remaining toes, especially when making an assessment of possible levels of minor amputation?
1: Yes, we use the second or third toe in case the first or second toes are amputated, but we don't routinely measure several toes. In case of hand ischemia, we do routinely use measurement of three different fingers.
0: How do you interpret toe pressure? What is your threshold?
1: As the global vascular guidelines, Wi-Fi classification, and for example, Robert Hinchliffe's excellent chapter on diabetic foot in the virtual vascular book state, the probability of healing of the ulcers in the foot increase heavily when the toe pressure or TCPO2 is above 30. You may know that David Armstrong used uh, the level of 40 in his exclusion for the negative pressure wound treatment studies on diabetic feet. And it is generally accepted that the diabetic foot should have a higher pressure than the non-diabetic critical limb ischemia foot in order for the ulcers to heal. So we cannot blindly look into one figure. But generally speaking, if the pressure is above 50, we are happy and that takes in consideration a margin of error. And if the toe pressure is below 30, we are not happy.
0: The 2019 Global Vascular Guidelines we just mentioned actually identified toe pressure as the preferred objective assessment of foot perfusion in chronic limb-threatening ischemia patients. They state that patients with diabetes should have toe pressure measurements, and that if toe pressure and ankle brachial measurement result in different grades, toe pressure will be the primary determinant of ischemia grade. Is that your experience? Should ankle pressure be replaced by toe pressure in these patients, or is there a need for both?
1: Every time we are assessing critical limb-threatening ischemia, we look at toe pressure. And in diabetics, I merely eyeball the ABI because I consider that very unreliable. You may remember that in the older guidelines, a value of 0.6 for the ABI was considered a threshold. So if it's lower than 0.6, it is a sign of critical limb ischemia. Everything else was considered unreliable. This has changed in the more recent guidelines. And now the level, for example, for too high ABI is 1.4. And the diagnostic level is 0.9 or 0.8, depending on which chapter you read. But the general rule is that in diabetics, the ankle brachial index and as well the ankle pressure are unreliable because you can have totally normal values of ABI and it's totally false.
0: Yes, I totally agree. And you have to put it in the context of a clinical picture. Yeah. You mentioned you also use TCBO2, but not routinely. In what cases do you think it is indicated
1: yes this is an excellent question to give you some figures we do seven thousand toe pressure measurements a year in our clinic and we do around 500 or 600 tcpo2s if it would be as quick to perform a tcpo2 we might do a bit more of them but generally it takes at least 20 minutes to half an hour to have a proper tcpo2 measurement often even more so In cases where the toes are amputated, that's obvious that we need TCPO2. Also, in cumbersome ulcers of the foot, we tend to take them both, toe pressure and TCPO2. But we have to remember that they are a bit different, so they have different limitations.
0: And where do you measure the oxygen pressure? Do you follow the angiosome concept? Or do you have standard measurement locations? Or do you individualize these locations to the patient's clinical presentation?
1: We have some studies about the angiosome concept and we have in a propensity score analysis, for example, shown that the better you can revascularize endovascularly towards the angiosome concept, the better the ulcer healing. On the other hand, if you do a bypass, the angiosome concept does not seem as important because you get a good change to the perfusion anyway. So yes, we think about the angiosome concept, but not very rigidly. The problem is also that many ulcers are on several different angiosome areas. So we individualize the TcPO 2 measurement to the patient, to the location of the ulcer. You can do it either if you have a crural ulcer combined, for example, venous and arterial ulcer, you can do the measurements close to the crural ulcer, but more common is that you use three points of the foot. By using three points, at least, you also avoid the problem of islands of ischemia. You get an image of several different areas of the foot.
0: You told us about the small cuffs and placing the laser probe for toe pressure at the tip of the toe. Can you share any technical tips on how to measure TCPO2?
1: Well, yes. You, for example, have an ulcer in the big toe region. You put two probes towards the forefoot and one towards the base of the foot, not directly on the arteries or veins, so you need to avoid them. Then you have to have a dry skin because you need to have an airtight seal with the cup that you then fill with the media that is heated. So dry foot, take away the wound care ointments in order to get a good seal. Also, it is beneficial if this cup that is filled with liquid can be showing directly upwards, so it's easier to get the system airtight.
0: And how do you interpret the findings? Is there again a threshold, or do you need a global picture from the three probes?
1: Well, we tend to take the baseline, which takes about 20 minutes for the oxygen to stabilize. So first you get a higher level and then you get down to something around 50 or so in the normal situation. And if it's below 30, you know that the baseline is lower than you wish it to be. Often actually in the ulcer patients, one of the probes close to the ulcer shows something like below 8 or below 5 values, which are very low values. But then if you put down the foot, you do this stress test, it gets higher. So it's important to understand that there's a difference in the TcPo2 values regarding the level of the foot. So you have to have it on the same level as the heart. And if you stress test it by leg lowering or putting the leg up, the values change. But it also takes something like 10 to 20 minutes to stabilize. Do you still use
0: pulse volume recordings?
1: We use it routinely, mainly as a quality assessment. So if there's a bypass, uh, the PVR curve should look very different if the bypass is open. So it has a very high PI index. If there is um, totally occluded arteries, the PVR curve is directly straight. So if you have a straight curve and a good toe pressure, there's something fishy about it.
0: So your routine baseline assessment is the toe pressure always ankle pressure and ankle brachial index, which you merely eyeball in diabetic patients, and PVRs always. We are talking about critical limb threatening ischemia and claudication, is that correct? Absolutely. And additionally, you use the TCPO2 in some cases for further assessment. Yes. So that would be a complete baseline assessment of foot perfusion.
1: Yes, well, we always get these recordings, less TCPO2. When we send the patient to the vascular lab, we get them all.
0: What do you use in the early post-operative period to check if a revascularization procedure has been successful? All the ones we've mentioned or just some of them?
1: In the immediate post period, as you know, Melina, the toe pressure and the TCPO tends to not become very high very quickly at least in all patients. There are some patients where you can even measure the toe pressure in the operation theater, and it increases immediately once you open the bypass. But it's more typical in these uh, compromised vasculature patients that the toe pressure takes some time. There are some studies that state that it takes about one month to stabilize to the higher level, and it goes up quicker with bypasses than with the, the um, endovascular procedures. So it's a bit tricky. If there's a bypass, we tend to look at the PVR curve and the ABI increase. If there's an ulcer, I tend to think that there needs to be a substantial change in the perfusion before I send the patient home. But sometimes you have to accept that the toe pressure doesn't increase immediately. This is also the reason why we have studied with the ICG perfusion The difference between tcpo2 and icg perfusion is the depth of which it estimates the flow or the perfusion the tcpo2 is the capillary bed mainly so it's very superficial one to two millimeters whereas the icg measures to maybe one or even 1.5 centimeters so you kind of get a better picture of the perfusion of the tissue and this is something we have used also instead of ultrasound in the long-term follow-up and immediately after revascularization So you see a change in the ICG curve, which is not reliable as such. There is too much differences between individuals. But when you see a change, you can be happy.
0: Do you have a threshold for that change? I mean, are you happy with, for example, a 10% or 15% change? Or do you have any absolute values that you consider reliable?
1: Not really. Sorry for that. It's the full picture after revascularization. We have caught patients who have gone to an endovascular procedure, and the toe pressure is still below 10 after the procedure. Then you do a reassessment, maybe a re-angio, and for example, the recanalized canalized arteries artery is occluded. So there should be a change, but if the foot, for example, is warm and the toe pressure still hasn't increased, I may just send the patient home, but take him a bit earlier to the control.
0: Okay. What about the routine follow-up beyond the early post-operative period? Do you also use toe pressure, ABI and PVRs in every late surveillance?
1: Well, we have a nurses' program that they perform the ultrasounds, and the routine is 3, 6 and 12 months after the operation, and sometimes 24 all the bypasses go to this program. So when the patient comes to the nurse's appointment, they do the ABI, toe pressure, and an ultrasound of the bypass graft. That's our routine. And then they often see stenosis in the grafts before the toe pressure goes down. Here is what we have studied on endovascular, because we want to have a similar follow-up of the endovascular procedures, but ultrasound is much more unreliable. It takes more time, and you don't maybe find all the stenosis because of calcification. We have used the ICG. The ICG shows changes before toe pressure, and that can reliably identify the stenosis early. The problem with the ICG is that you have to have the ICG from the same person before and after the operation in order to have a full follow-up procedure. And it's an invasive method as well.
0: Is the learning curve of toe pressure and TCPO2 steep for the specialized nurses?
1: We have trained our nurses in ultrasound, and those nurses who can master the ultrasound have no problem in learning the machinery very fast. We have several nurses that don't do ultrasound, but they work in the vascular laboratory. And as you can imagine, when we do 7,000 measurements a year, it's fairly routine for them. And there's a lot of nurses who can teach the next one. I think the learning curve is very fast, the machinery is good. But what is very important is that you need to control your vascular laboratory findings every now and then. So you need to do validation of your laboratory. Otherwise, the culture of maybe wrongdoings, or in our case, putting the flags wrong, or something like that may grow into the measurements. So it's important to validate your laboratory regularly.
0: Oh yes, internal audit is something that we regularly need to do in all areas of our practice, isn't it? You were talking about machinery. What equipment do you need in order to adopt toe pressure and TCPO2 measurements in regular clinical practice as recommended by the guidelines?
1: For toe pressure, the historical thing was the strain gorge measurements. Then after that, the photoplethysmographic machinery came along and there are several on the market still. I don't know if there are several laser Doppler machineries on the market. That's what we use. And then on top of that, the laser probe is surrounded by a heating system. So the place where your recording is heated to 41 degrees Celsius. We used to use these hair dryers and heating pads and put the feet to warm waterbeds and everything. But actually, a study done in our clinic showed that the local heating and by that dilatation of the capillaries and maybe arterioles below is sufficient to increase the pressure. I have to say again that the heating also increases the pressure that you get. So don't rely blindly on one pressure. For example, one of our study nurses always have a toe pressure of zero and she has a totally normal perfusion in the foot. And she's even been ultrasound for her crural arteries and they are normal and she has no symptoms, but she has a toe pressure of zero repeatedly. But when you heat her toes, we get the toe pressure of 50 from her and only with the local heating probe.
0: We are moving quickly towards personalized medicine. It started with experience-based, then evidence-based medicine and now gradually personalized medicine. An in-depth assessment of individual foot perfusion with our protocols updated by the latest evidence-based guidelines is one of the key elements of information that can help tailor a specific treatment plan for a specific patient.
1: I agree with you, Melina. And actually, if you look at, the, for example, the Wi-Fi classification or the GLASS or the global guideline recommendations, you cannot perform treatment for CLTI without having these assessments possible in your clinic.
0: Yes, absolutely for baseline and post-operative surveillance. Pirka, thank you very much for sharing your knowledge and tips with us today. It's been an absolute pleasure chatting with you in this podcast.
1: Thank you, Melina. And maybe I can share with you the information that we are actually planning a webinar on foot perfusion assessment that's coming up in ESVS webinar program in late May or early June. We don't know the exact date yet.
0: That's wonderful news. Watch out for that, everyone out there listening. This is another great ESVS activity to look forward to. And thank you all out there for listening. Remember that all Vascular Forum podcasts are available open access in SoundCloud, Spotify, the Vascular Forum webpage, and the ESVS e-library. New interviews will be coming up soon. Till then, bye for now.
1: Goodbye.